Welcome to another exciting episode of The Nuclear View, a weekly podcast of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we want to advance peace, promote stability, and remind you to think deterrence. The views of the guests are their own. Welcome back to another episode of The Nuclear View. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and of course, with me to do that is Jim Petrosky and Curtis McGiffin, and today we're going to talk about budgets. and the- Money, 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 money. <laughs> Careful, the you might co- have to pay a royalty. <laughs> <laughs> the costs of nuclear deterrence. It's a, it's a great topic to talk about, and so... Curtis, I mean, you you went and looked up, did some digging and a little research to find out what our projected costs are. Now, over the last decade or so, we've been spending about, and this is sort of just focused on the operations and maintenance, and that cost was about $25 billion a year in defense budgets that over that period you generally range between 7 and 850 billion dollars so we're we're talking 3 or 4% of the defense budget and and remember this isn't a a a federal or in a US economy let me backtrack in a US economy that has ranged from 18 to 24 trillion dollars so you're, you know, we're talking 0.001%. Uh, so what did you find, Curtis, in terms of what we're looking at spending in the years ahead? Well, Adam, thanks. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we hear a lot from from the uh, anti-nuclear um, advocates out there, the, the disarmament community, about just how expensive um, America's nuclear arsenal and its nuclear deterrent is. Uh, and I would guess that many of our listeners think that we spend, uh, I'll bet they think we spend half of our defense budget on nuclear weapons. Um, what, Adam, what do you think? Half of our defense budget? Yeah, maybe that's what they think. Maybe. How about a third? No, no. no how about a quarter? Not. No, no. No, no. It's actually good. about 6% of our defense budget is spent on nuclear weapons. And that includes uh, modernization too, doesn't that it? That includes modernization, which is amazing. Now those numbers will go up, right? As we as we start building real things, right? We we're just now starting to build bombers and submarines, and uh, and ICBM new new ICBMs will start being built here in the next year or two or three, and and we'll start seeing these roll out, and so we'll see the budget increase. Uh, as a percentage of the DOD budget from about 6% now to about 8.5%, probably by 2030. Um, and so uh, the CBO estimates is sort of like, eh, about like seven and a quarter percent is sort of the average. So, um, and, but again, overall, this is chump change for the amount of peace um, and, and escalation control uh, that nuclear weapons buy us. And uh, and so it's 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 incredibly important for our, our listeners to understand that just looking at the 2021 numbers because they're the most settled, right? Uh, you know, we spent 29 billion dollars in the for the nuclear enterprise. That's all the services, that's all the operations and maintenance, and whatever modernization costs were ongoing. 
And that's about 4% of the, of the defense budget in 21 and about 0.0045 of the GDP uh, or 11% of the, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 11. Yeah. And uh, so, and, and the defense budget is 11% of the GDP. So, we, we can see just how small a f, you know fraction that these nuclear weapons that these nuclear weapons are. So let's understand what that means. So the United States, the American people, on average, spend uh, exactly twenty nine billion dollars. That's the same number, twenty nine billion dollars on home security and alarm systems. So in other words, we as Americans spend the same amount of money to deter burglars from getting into our homes as we do to deter nuclear war and all those sorts of things. And in fact, in the Medicare Medicaid, we, we spend $57 billion uh, in fraud, waste, and abuse in, in Medicare and Medicaid. So that's almost double of the nuclear enterprise. And Americans spend $110 billion annually, or three times, a little over three times, the amount of our nuclear deterrent on, on pampering their pets. So the, I want to just use this sort of macro look to sort of begin to focus our listeners on just how little we spend on this nuclear enterprise that has kept this nation so safe and the and maintain the stability um, and 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 global peace uh, since 1945. You know, it's a it's a great point, and one of the things I always think about is is the fact that you know, like you pointed out, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which runs those programs, that you know, I've seen numbers as high as seventy billion dollars a year for waste, fraud, and abuse of those two programs, and I have yet to hear anybody in the arms control community say that we can't afford Medicare and Medicaid because there's too much waste, fraud, and abuse. I've not even heard them say that waste, fraud, and abuse is even a problem. I don't hear anybody talking about it. Yet it's more than twice what the cost of the nuclear you know, the nuclear enterprise is. And if we can't afford the nuclear enterprise, how can we afford Medicare and Medicaid a waste, fraud, and abuse? So, and then, and I want to throw something else out there for you. If you think about World War II, World War II, we spent half of the gross domestic product, half. That's 50 cents out of every dollar created in America to fight World War II. That's what we spent. And according to your calculations, we're going to spend, what, 0.004%? And, you know, to to deter great power war, to me, it is a far, so that, you know, there's a famous study probably eight years ago, the Trillion Dollar Triad, that, that got a lot of press because of the name. But the reality of it is it's an incredibly cost-effective way to prevent war and, of course, save money from war fighting. Well, not only that, Adam, right? The trillion dollars is spread over 30 years. So if you just do the math, right, and it breaks down into like the $30 billion or whatever a year uh, on average. And it's going to go up and come down. It's going to cycle as as, uh, programmatics and procurement 
um, uh, you know, kind of progress through the system. That's a lot of P's. Um, and and I would I would like to add into this into the shock value, uh, Adam, that you know the Sentinel ICBM, the new ICBM that's coming out, right, is going to cost about sixty three billion dollars over twenty years. Well, don't do the math. It's about three point one five billion per year. And if you were to cut that, right, and that's what most anti-nuclear people advocate is that we have to get rid of the ICBM or the land-based leg of the, of the nuclear triad, you would save 0.002% of the defense budget uh, for fiscal year 21 and 0.0003% of the projected federal spending, right? And, uh, and so uh, it, it is just, it's, it's a tiny number. It's a tiny number and you would lose so much capability. There was a, a, an article that came out in Forbes magazine back in 2019. Uh, a study was done um, uh, by a, uh, out, out there. by And the author noted that from 2004 to 2019, 20 of the largest federal agencies in our federal government admitted to paying out over $1.2 trillion in improper payments over those 15 years. And that's improper grants, loans, Medicare, Medicaid fraud, illegal earned income tax credits, um, and, and any other thing you can think of, right, that sort of makes, meets that uh, amount. And, and that they, they said that it would cost it too much money to claw back that, that, that loss. And so $1.2 trillion over 15 years is essentially just sort of, you know, thrown away um, through all of this fraud, waste, and abuse. And then the government's inability to get any of it back. Well, $1.2 trillion is the, is the number over 30 years. This was over 15, over 30 years to modernize the entire nuclear triad that will carry us out through 2070. So don't tell me this is unaffordable. And anybody who tries to tell you that it is, they simply either don't understand the numbers or, or want to scare you into believing something else. Now, a lot of the money spent on, particularly on the DOE, uh, the National Nuclear Security Administration side, is going to go to a great deal of science that will ultimately have, you know, it'll improve the security and the reliability of our weapons, but it'll also generate new science. And so I want to bring Jim in because Jim's been patiently waiting as we've been ranting about this. Very. <laughs> and so Jim, rant. Let, let's talk a little bit about the labs and the science that takes place for this. You know, it's, it's around 20 to 25 billion a year that goes to the various DO department of energy, DOE labs to do a great deal of science. I mean, we just saw, you know, a couple of months ago, the National Ignition Facility, which is, of course, funded through uh, the, the nuclear weapons budget because it's used in the stockpile stewardship program. So can you talk a bit about some of what this money is spent on? Yeah, well, thank you, Adam. And I'll tell you, you know, the next time either a listener or either Curtis or Adam say, I talk too much about numbers in any of my podcasts <laughs> from nuclear knowledge. Um, I'm going to refer to this episode because I've been here trying to, you know, check Curtis's numbers. And for our audience, 
Uh, I have not verified Curtis's numbers. I'll assume he's correct. I'll have to do it later. So we may need to do a reclam if he's missed a, a decimal point someplace. It's public education um, math. I'm sure I'm pretty close. <laughs> so, so thank you, Adam and Curtis. But it was a great setup. And I agree. These numbers are important. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a GAO report from uh, 2021 uh, just to sort of throw the number out there that it said that, uh, you know, the modernization is going to cost somewhere around $60 billion through 2020, 2030. So that just gives you a number. But I want to, I, I want to first back off. There's two pieces and thank you for the setup, Adam. First of all, what is modernization? Cause it's really important. So rather than trying to make the case for the nuclear weapons, if we have them, we want them to remain effective, safe, and reliable. Otherwise, the investments we've made and the dependence we have on them for deterrence is lost. So assuming we're going to keep them, we've got to make sure that those three things are maintained. And over time, conditions change, systems change, equipment ages, etc. And so that modernization effort that we have begun is about ensuring they are that our weapons are and and our delivery systems are effective, safe, and reliable. And so those those investments are important as we reinvest what we already have 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 uh, have in place, and then look to the modernization effort. Now, let me back up just a little bit here because what we are doing right now in testing, for example, survivability to elect to to radiation for electronics or surviving a nuclear blast and the neutron effects and making sure our weapons will survive those. We are, we are doing testing and evaluation based upon investments that were made many, many years ago. And the foresight of the scientists who thought of the basic science and, and engineering to develop these systems that now have utility in something we hadn't even thought of then. That's where real science gets involved. It starts out at the basic concepts and the concepts then become reality. And then as reality gets changed into an effective testing and evaluation system that can be used for, in this case, modernization, evaluation of a, of a system in an environment that we no longer produce because we no longer test nuclear weapons by detonating uh, them in the Alamogordo Valley or in Las Vegas uh, area, uh, the National uh, Nuclear Security uh, Site, I'm sorry, uh, in, uh, north of uh, Las Vegas. We no longer do that, but we still must be able to produce those environments to ensure that our systems are safe, effective, and reliable. And the national labs have a part in this. And of course, the Los Alamos National Lab and Lawrence Livermore National Lab, the weapons, those two weapons labs have a substantial uh, amount of work effort to ensure that the, the weapons themselves function. It's not just the pits themselves, but it's all the associated components that allow the Department of Defense to use that weapon in a time that it is, it is supposed to be used. And the, the word is surety, security, and um, yeah, safety and security, I'm sorry, surety. So it's safe and secure at all times because we don't want the weapon to go off when it's not supposed to. And we do want to ensure the DOD that it will go off when it's supposed to. And so those two things are maintained through that research. And again, we benefit from the research that was done years ago to develop systems, the many millions of dollars that went into those systems. 
But there's a little bit more to this that I personally uh, like to highlight here. That funding that goes to that not only develops those systems, but it also develops knowledge in many, many other areas. There are uh, there are uh, initiatives to do fusion research for fusion energy that are a result of the incredible scientists that are working the projects for nuclear uh, from from nuclear weapon uh, uh, advanced uh, electronics and advanced uh, systems. A lot of our space systems are survivable to coronal mass ejections, et cetera, in space because of the work that we do in developing uh, and and designing survivable systems. And then even things like uh, asteroid, uh, potential for asteroids hitting the, the Earth. We look at those uh, energetics that are important. And those, that is a sideline bit of science that would never be done if we weren't investing in the massive amount of research and engineering for this effort that provides us peace. So I often have looked at it the other way around. We're doing all the science and we get peace out of it in the end. So I flip that one over from the uh, from from the, the points you guys made earlier, Curtis. I think it's 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 a great ex- explanation. Is with it's like the space race, right? To get all the, you know, we didn't we wouldn't you know if not for the Toothpaste. space race in the '60s, we wouldn't have had Tang, right? So <laughs> you know, Velcro and uh, Kevlar. when was the last time when was the last time you had Tang? Do they even sell it anymore? I'm not I even sure. Maybe not. Might be a little dated reference, but. Uh, but nonetheless, Tang was this gritty orange <laughs> powder you could make sort of this fake orange juice out of. Um, uh, but anyway. Hey, uh, listeners, <laughs> listeners, listen, uh, there's an important thing about Tang. It's great for cleaning your dishwasher. <laughs> I didn't know it that. super. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, hey, look, just, I, you know, I wanted to add just a couple of other uh, uh, ideas here as we look through this. So in the 2023 budget, which number, what numbers you can get, um, it looks like, you know, the, the DOD budget uh, is about 816 billion. It depends on, you know, who you look, who you look at in the, to get the information from, but about 18, 816 billion. Uh, why do I mention that? Because again, I want to remind people, um, that, that money matters, and and I don't want our listeners to think that uh, that nuclear weapons, uh, because they're because they're not expensive, um, uh, means that we should have you know just a you know you know we should just go ahead and spend crazy with them. You know, um, we have a a thirty one thirty two trillion dollar deficit in counting, uh, and uh, and this is a challenge. Um, back in two thousand twelve. Uh, uh, 11 years ago, uh, then chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mullen, was asked, what was the number one threat to the to America? And his answer was not the Chinese. It wasn't the Russians. It wasn't even terrorism in those days. It was the national debt. And so here we are today, right? And we are now much bigger uh, in our national debt. And I'll point out that even though we have $816 billion dollars in uh, in spending for the DOD, and that's all of DOD, not just the nuclear side. Uh, we'll have spend eight, we'll spend eight hundred and fifty five billion on Medicare, and we'll spend almost four hundred billion on the na- on the interest on the debt. So we're approaching fifty percent of the defense budget just to service the national debt, and this is going to continue to be a challenge as time goes on, and we continue to raise the debt ceilings and these sorts of things. And I'm not here to talk about all of the 
the, the, the politics and the economics of all of that. That's, that's not for where I just, but our listeners need to be aware. And I know they're very astute in other areas, but that money matters. And that if we're trying to protect America and, and, uh, and defend sovereignty, uh, that I would argue uh, that if nuclear weapons are only 6% of the defense budget, what's the other 94%? And I would argue it's the things that go boom. It is the things that make war. Um, and again, I'm not saying that conventional weapons don't have a deterrent value. They certainly do. Um, but I do want to give credit where credit is due as far as which weapons are really um, more or less costly. Uh, not only in uh, in in lives and destruction, but necessarily uh, in uh, in just the cost of maintaining them during peacetime. Well, one of the you know sort of the underappreciated aspects of nuclear weapons is that if you look oh you know historically, and I think Keith Payne has talked about this before, that you're going to have between four and six great power wars per century. And those great power wars have historically seen the death of between 1% and 2% of the global population. 1% to 2% of, of the entire world is going to die. And when you've, since the nuclear weapon, we, we've seen that casualty count go down 90%. But we're also, because we're not fighting great power wars, the total amount of money spent on militaries has also gone down because you're not spending half your GDP for a five-year period, you know, AKA world war two to, to wage a war. And if you look at take uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, the estimates range between, you know, six and $8 trillion over that, 20 year period were spent to fight wars of asymmetry and insurgencies. Those weren't even great power wars. And that's how much we spent. That's right. could, could you imagine how much we would actually spend if, for example, there were no nuclear weapons and we would have fought world war three? Well, again, I'll, I'll mention. So it, it, it was a recent article of priced out. If we were to fight, fight world war two based on what we paid for world war two between 41 and 45, if you were to pay that out in today's dollars, it would be about $5 trillion over those four years. Um, uh, and, you know, in comparison to the global war on terror, uh, you know, and that's just America's cost. That doesn't include the French and the Brits and, and the adversaries uh, and what they paid uh, to, to fight that war as well. Just the American side. Uh, it, it's estimated that if, if you had to replace a major city rebuild it from it from destruction of some sort, like say New York city, about one and a half trillion dollars, right. To rebuild a major metropolitan area. Uh, these are real numbers. I mentioned, um, I think last week, uh, in a podcast at the world bank, uh, to date here. So about 14, 15 months into the Ukrainian war, uh, that the world bank estimates $411 billion to rebuild Ukraine. Uh, and so the, these are big numbers. These are big numbers in, in little isolated areas. And this is what the cost of, the, of deterrence failure uh, is. This is what the cost of war is. 
And, uh, and, and so, and when I say deterrence failure, deterrence fails when you don't try it and, and you don't actually understand it enough to apply it correctly. Um, and I think that's why uh, we here at the National Institute of Deterrence Studies uh, try to educate folks so that we can think about how do we do this better? We want to think deterrence. And uh, to think deterrence, you've got to understand the nuances of it and you've got to be able to apply it correctly so that it will hold and you don't have to fight these wars and pay these tremendous costs. Well, and, and you bring up a great point in that by virtue of understanding the actual costs of, you know, conventional war, great power wars, uh, rebuilding cities, you know, at the loss of a great power war, that you actually get a much better sense of how inexpensive the nuclear arsenal is. Now, people will say, well, geez, the nuclear arsenal doesn't deter all war. And we would say absolutely. But it deters great power wars. And then it deters our allies from fighting their enemies. So it deters, you know, wars that are below the great power level. So it it, it has this sort of cascading effect of deterring wars because you take Vietnam, we didn't want to end up in a war against the Russians or the Chinese, and they didn't want to end up in a war against us. So we tamped down that conflict. Uh, you could look at a war like Korea. There were similar concerns there. So wars, so the fact that nations have nuclear weapons tamps down not just wars against the other great powers, but again, wars between their allies, which then in of itself saves us money again. So let me throw one more number out here because uh, Jim is just, he's, he's got keeping a list of all the numbers <laughs> that I'm throwing out here. So um, the, the global cost for nuclear deterrence, right? And these numbers are according to, uh, to ICON, the, the global um, uh, anti-nuclear disarmament uh, advocacy group that uh, that's out there online. I pull their numbers uh, in 2021, the world, right, all the major nuclear powers added up in American dollars, in the American exchange rate, spend $88 billion collectively on all their nuclear arsenals in 2021. And that's, uh, you know, and considering that in 2021, you know, the Ukrainian war wasn't going on yet, I guess. Uh, and, and so we were, that's a lot of peace. That's a lot of peace uh, bought for a very small amount of, of, of dollars uh, in wars that didn't occur. Uh, I know it's a tough metric to have, right, to sort of measure things that didn't happen. Uh, and that's why deterrence is harder than um, and, and, and harder to understand, harder to believe, harder to trust, because a metric is, is a negative metric. But the reality is, is... Um, $88 billion. And so when you look at it, for example, we spent 44, their estimate was America spent $44 billion on its nuclear enterprise in 2021. And the Russians only spent 8.6. And the Chinese only spent 11.7. But the Russians arguably have a, as big or bigger a nuclear arsenal than we do. Adam, how do they get away with, uh, with having such a big nuclear arsenal at only $8.6 billion? Oh, that's easy. It's a purchasing power parity issue uh -huh. their officers are not paid as well uh. as ours are or their lab <laughs> scientists or you know our uh 
you know, we, we have a lot of, you know, and this sort of goes back to an interesting fact during the cold war, you know, even today, we put second lieutenants in ICBM launch control centers. The Russians would put colonels because they thought it, it took a colonel to be responsible for the launch of an ICBM. Whereas we thought a, you know, 23 or 24 year old junior officer was trustworthy to do it. And so it's a, uh, it's an interesting, it's sort of an interesting thing. And, and I, one thing I wanted to say, cause we're about to run out of time is I, you know, I think about our spending on a nu- the nuclear enterprise is as an insurance policy. You know, it's yes. a, it's an insurance policy against great power wars. And so if you think about it, let, let me just ask you, according to the Kaiser family foundation, what do you think the average American family spends on health insurance every year? Uh, is that for me or for Jim? Either one of you. Take it, Curtis. I'm going to say it's about $12,000 a year on health insurance. It's That's right. It's about $12,000 a year. Well, 12,000 a year. So about a thousand bucks a month. How about let's, let's take automobile insurance. What do we, what I would is, say about, about 200 bucks a month in auto insurance. Yeah. yeah. It's somewhere, depending upon the state you live in, it's between 2000 and 2,500 uh, a year. So what do you think we spend the average taxpayer? I'm not even going to include all Americans. I'm only going to include that relatively small percentage of Americans who pays federal taxes. <laughs> What do you think their average burden is to cover the cost of the nuclear enterprise? Per year? Per year. About $348. Yes. <laughs> it's a few it's a few hundred dollars per year. Now if you included all Americans and you divvied it up between everybody, it's you know, it's, it's cut even lower. Yeah, it's yeah. less than half that. Right. So my question then is is it worth it? I mean, if you'll spend the same amount of money and I, you know, I've got security cameras on my house, is it, is it worth it? And what I would say is that by virtue of building this deterrent, which allows us to avoid wars and to spend less on defense, because you, you naturally spend less on defense when you have nuclear weapons, that what that does is that allows you to reallocate funds and so if, if you're an advocate of disarmament, then you want to reallocate funds to social spending. Well, that's only possible because you aren't fighting wars, because you have to fight and win them. And so you must consume that money. Or in peacetime, you can also allocate that money to lower taxes, which then creates a larger economy and more economic growth. And you end up with things like smartphones and you get to buy, you know, Ford F-150 off-road edition pickups and things like that, that if you're fighting great power wars every 20 years or so, you won't have that luxury. So let me throw one more uh, stat out here because it's a piggyback on, on those great comments that you have, and then you can let Jim close this out. So what do you think we spent during the Cold War and a little after, from 1940 to 19 or 1941 to 1996, what do you think we spent on the entire nuclear, for the entire nuclear uh, requirement during the Cold War? 
This is starting to feel like a game show. <laughs> it's a rhetorical. If I go above, do I no, lose? No, no, no. So <laughs> we spent only $5.5 trillion over the course of those 55 years. That averages out to about $21,000 per person over 55 years. And there were a lot fewer people in America then as there is now. Um, and so that, you know, in consideration to, to all that went on during the Cold War and to think that we just spent $7 trillion in the global war on terror in 20 years, um, $6 trillion, I think, mitigating COVID. Um, and, uh, you know, and we just mentioned $5 trillion if you were to fight World War II today, the way we fought it back then. Um, these are significantly low numbers, considering we prevented World War III, we kept the peace, um, and we're continuing to do that again with these kinds of weapons, and more importantly, this kind of commitment. And this is why the American people need to understand the value of what's going, of what they're paying for. And reality is that they really are paying pennies on the dollar uh, for national security and peace. Uh, and if we don't have these weapons, if we don't have, if we didn't have these weapons today, and Putin did, and he invades Ukraine, what stops him from moving into the rest of NATO and Europe, if not? for the fear of escalation in America's nuclear weapons. Well said, Jim. Yeah. Thanks, Adam Curtis. Um, yeah, before I, uh, before I close this out, I would be remiss and uh, not mentioning the Sandia national lab engineers and scientists who also are a major part of this. I skipped them in my discussion Evans, earlier, no. but I want to make sure that's a uh, important uh, if they're listening, because I'm sure I'll get phone calls. <laughs> um, also, also, um, you know, when we talk about the budget, uh, well, before that, uh, another sideline issue also is the workforce needs in order to maintain this is really important. And as we prime the pump of those scientists and engineers, the universities and the education systems also benefit from the science and engineering that happens here yep. that benefits society writ large because of the interactions and et cetera at the university levels. So that I missed earlier. So before I close this out, I just want to hit one more issue that I wanted to hit earlier before I jumped out. And that is regarding the budget, because it's when we, when it comes down to money, it all depends on the budget. And when the budget is inconsistent or unpredictable, or it doesn't look like we have a long-term investment, it really hampers the ability to pull the scientific innovation and the scientific effort forward to make things happen. And what's interesting with Curtis is he said, you know, he said, you know, Russia is, is not spending as much money uh, on their nuclear uh, arsenal, yet they, I just want to highlight, use their arsenal Quite often, I don't think I heard anyone in the past month for the United States say, hey, if you do this, we're going to start maybe uh, nuking up some other countries. We haven't done that, but the Russians have been doing that quite well, using that very inexpensive arsenal to their benefit. And so we have to show some other form, such as our consistent and predictable budget to support our nuclear arsenal so that it is seen by our adversaries as a, as a, a usable, safe, reliable, and effective method to keep them at bay. And that's what this is all about. And if we can do that, 
we deter them. We go back to deterrence instead of uh, fighting wars at whatever level and whatever scale. So that's the way that's the, the way to sort of wrap this up. So I'll turn it back to you, Adam. And thanks, guys, for uh, for this great uh, conversation. Well, Jim Curtis, thanks for another great show. Hopefully you, the listeners, learned a little bit and, and, and have some context to think about uh, nuclear arsenals and modernization when you're told it's unaffordable. Hopefully you, you now know that that is simply not true. That's misinformation or disinformation, probably. Well, we'll have to wrap this show up. So I want to thank Jim and Curtis and, of course, you, the listeners. And as always, think deterrence. Thank you for listening to this week's The Nuclear View. We hope you found it engaging and valuable. The Nuclear View is released each Wednesday and is a production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, a 501c3 organization. We are dependent upon donations to provide our podcasts. Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and of our national deterrence. We occasionally answer questions from our valued listeners. If you wish to send us questions on a topic, please send your email to asknids at thinkdeterrence.com. That's asknids, one word, the at symbol, and thinkdeterrence, one word, dot com. If you enjoyed this show, check out our other weekly podcast, Nuclear Knowledge. You can catch all of our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com under the Deterrence Podcast tab. We thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear view, where we want to advance peace, promote stability, and remind you to always think deterrence.